Hi, welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. I'm Jonathan Scharf, not John Mitchell, from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, um, and I'm, I'm hijacking it for this week. Uh, I am pastor at Abiding Grace in Covington, Georgia. I'm with, uh, as we've been throughout the series of Lent here, I'm with Phil Hebner, pastor um, at Wisconsin Lutheran High School in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we are uh, taking on Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday uh, for year B here in the series Rethinking Religion. Uh, Phil, you want to start us off a little bit with the uh, uh, where we're at in the series and the theme of the day and, and maybe get into that Passion Sunday a little bit? Sure, I'd love to. Um, as you said well, we've been uh, on this theme of rethinking religion, so we've had quite the journey as we follow Jesus to Calvary and the cross. Uh, we rethought trials, tests, and temptations. That's right at the beginning as we see Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And we thought through suffering under the cross, the worth of worship, the solution to sin, being devoted in our commitment. And now um, the theme for this particular day is real strength. The world has its opinions on what strength is and what it looks like and also what they want God to do as they, uh, as God might show that strength in their lives. And so when you think about the passion of Jesus the Christ and uh, even Palm Sunday riding like a king into his city for his great mission, it's foolishness to the world. And so you think about the foolishness of the cross and that the world's wisdom would not see strength in anything that Jesus is doing here, but that's the wisdom of God and the true gospel message, uh, the strength of Christ. And of course, that's strength that's for us, but also strength that is in us and through us as we live in the world. So that's what we'll spend some time thinking on. And um, what we have in, in store for everyone here in our discussion today is to just talk about the day in general, uh, but then to finish with our little text study review, talking about um, Palm Sunday readings and what a sermon text study would look like. But first, we're going to think about uh, what John had mentioned here a couple of times, which is Passion Sunday. So as I understand it, the tradition was um, about 500 years old that uh, on this Palm Sunday day, the beginning of Holy Week, instead of reading um, perhaps one of the Gospels for Palm Sunday, you know, the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, that instead there would be a reading of the entire Passion history. And so this is not something new with a new hymnal or a new Christian worship, but this is actually a very old and historic um, practice. So why would this be? Uh, and what about the Palm Sunday Gospel? Well, uh, as the lectionary would have it, the, the Palm Sunday Gospel, the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, then shifts to the first Sunday of the church year, the first Sunday of Advent. And in many ways, um, some of the notes for Christian worship actually call it, well, a, a microcosm, this story, a microcosm of, of Christ uh, in our world for salvation. You know, the, the king humbly comes, he willingly comes, he comes for sacrifice. And so in many ways, that Palm Sunday story sets the tone for the festival half of the church year and for really the whole cycle of the church year as we're focused on the life of Christ who comes to us and for us uh, to save us. And so that would be the one of the reasons for having that Palm Sunday gospel on that first Sunday of Advent. Just so much to think about as Christ comes to us. There's lots of overlapping with Palm Sunday thoughts and Advent thoughts and Psalm 24 prophecy and all that. Um, so instead, then, again, on a Passion Sunday, um, there would be a reading of the full um, Passion history. 
Um, you could repeat it if you perhaps were doing chunks during the Wednesdays of Lent, um, just to hear it all in one at once. Uh, I think in a practical level, we all understand not every member makes it to Wednesday Lent, so they might not ever hear the passion story. Um, certainly not all at once. Um, uh, another possibility, a suggestion in Christian worship manuals and notes and, and materials would be that then you could do something different, maybe chunks of the catechism during Wednesdays in Lent, leaving the passion again for this Passion Sunday. Um, so that's kind of the background and the reasoning behind it. And I'm going to kick it over to you, John, if you want to talk about, you know, what have you done? How did it work for you? Because there's lots of ways to incorporate it. Did people like it? Um, you know, what did you think of it? Um, so just kind of share on a practical level, what are things that we should think through if we're going the passion history route? Yeah, I, I think you, you made a good point that not everybody is there on the Wednesday evenings. You, I've experienced, you know, a quarter to a third of Sunday attendance showing up on the, on the Wednesday evening services. Uh, and we do split up the passion history throughout the the Wednesdays. Uh, you know, it definitely flavors the the Lenten midweek meditation that we do. Um, but then on on Palm Sunday, uh, you know, for the first years of my ministry, it was a straight up Palm Sunday, but that was that was, you know, Christian Worship 93 lectionary where Advent one was uh, um, not the uh, the historic uh, Palm Sunday uh, lectionary. So it, well, it's probably been about a decade now since we've been, I was kind of working on the lectionary with the hymnal. So we were testing some things out. Uh, we've been doing uh, kind of a combo service. So we have all the Palm Sunday uh, uh, festivities, you know, the the kids process with palms and they're singing all glory, loud and honor. And and uh, we, we read the Palm Sunday gospel. Uh, and then we'll have a, a shorter sermon, a devotion on, uh, one of the appointed readings for Palm Sunday, which this year we'll be using the Hebrews uh, one that going along with this series, you know, real strength or rethinking real strength. Um, and and then after that, uh, I'll usually um, first couple verses of the hymn of the day before that devotion and the next couple after it. And then we go into uh, reading the five sections of the Passion History interspersed with some of those awesome Lenten hymns. Uh, I mean, you just have such rich texts. Uh, I'll usually split them up, you know, a couple of verses before the reading, a couple of verses after the next one. Um, but you do get to another, you know, two or three of those really nice Lenten hymns. Um, and then, uh, so you have that passion history. And and the, the devotion, the sermon, kind of serves to introduce that. You know, what was Jesus coming into Jerusalem to do. Uh, he, he was coming into passion history. You know, that that answers that question. And uh, you can really help the people prepare to listen to a pretty powerful section of scripture. You know, on, on Wednesday night, I know there have been times, you know, especially as a kid, it's it's late and you read this really long reading and you're sitting there in the in the pew and uh um I don't think we give it the attention that that uh, we could, and so that that sermonette, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, that that devotion uh, can guide people to to be active listeners toward one particular aspect of it. Uh, I know you have seen it in a lot of different places. Uh, you said when you were in the parish, it was uh, it was Palm Sunday, but uh, you've you've seen the Passion hit, uh, Sunday. Uh, what have you experienced? 
Yeah, um, it's been a, a couple of years since I've been in a parish setting at my own congregation. So I think this practice has been jumping back um, into our circles more recently since I have left the parish, but now um, attending services this at my home congregation, this is all I have seen. Um, so I guess I've had both sides. I love your suggestions there. I think it, I think it's important for all of us as pastors, as pastors, you want to have that Palm Sunday message and concentration at some point. You know, we've been building up to this and building up to this, and there's just so much to unravel for Palm Sunday. And while it is actually literally Palm Sunday, I think it is good to give it some thoughts, even if it's just a short devotion. I love that suggestion you have. Uh, I believe the Christian worship rubrics um, suggest what I have seen and I think works pretty well. So um, just like you suggested, a procession of palms to begin probably one of the classic hymns, like all glory, loud and honor, or right on, right on in majesty, or Hosanna, loud Hosanna. Uh, and then would be a confession and absolution. Um, and then maybe a stanza or two. Uh, and then you get into um, the passion reading. And so what I have experienced, I guess, is kind of uh, what you are saying, you know, you could do this like as a hymn sing. Um, you're, you're right, man, so many great Lent hymns that could be sung. Um, one, if you want to go with just one hymn and make it a little shorter service, the hymn of the day for Passion Sunday is My Song is Love Unknown. And obviously that kind of tells well the progressive story of Jesus' passion. So you could break up those seven or whatever verses. Um, and the church I attend, it's almost become like a Lent lessons and carol service um, where there's these chunks of the readings. And then um, you know, sometimes the choir has an anthem and then sometimes the congregation sings a hymn. So I've seen a lot of different ways. I think it's good to break it up, though, and not just read the whole thing all at once. I mean, I think it'd be hard to keep your concentration for that long uh, is one thing. Um, I have also seen in a number of different places something a pastor might want to consider, and that is responsive readings. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen places where um, anytime it's the voice of the people that the congregation would say it, you know, and you don't want to be hokey or cheesy, I guess. Uh, but mm -hmm. at the same time, there is something powerful um, about being the ones that cry out, crucify him, crucify him, you know, yeah. so that the narrator or the savior's words would be from the presiding minister or pastor. And then the people's words would be from um, the congregation. So a back and forth thing, I think, practically speaking, um, it's nice to have a little variety, you know, a different kind of service. In other words, it's nice for the people, practically speaking, um, for the majority of pastors who are by themselves, like you are, John, I guess you, you have a vicar, but, um, you know, a lot of pastors by themselves, you got a lot of preaching coming up <laughs> um, with Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, possible lessons, or, or, or I'm sorry, seven words service, you know, all kinds of Easter variety of services. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, So to give yourself a short devotion or even no devotion, maybe a little help. Um, for the pastor and his time, uh, but variety is good. So uh, interested more about your service as we kind of wrap up this um, and how you like broke it up or how it was received by the people. Do they enjoy this? Um, is it, a, you know, do you have a choir sing, that kind of thing? Just what is, how does it practically play out when you do it? Yeah, uh, it it goes well. I mean, anytime for us, anytime the kids are involved, it's it's awesome, right? So our Sunday school kids, sing the first verse or two of um, one of those Palm Sunday hymns that you mentioned. Uh, the, you know, and we do the, 
the children's sermon uh, right before the the devotion then and and kind of prep them too for, hey, we're going to be listening to a long story. It's an awesome story. You, you got to be ready for this. Um, the choir has sung, although, you know, the choir is getting ready for a pretty busy weekend too. Right, so right. Uh, not, not every year to the choir. This year they're not um, singing for Palm Sunday. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's well-received, uh, people appreciate it. Um, yeah, as far as, uh, it, a little, something a little bit different. And in many ways, um, you know, it's great to have meditative thoughts on Palm Sunday, but in many ways it sets the tone for mm -hmm. the week, right? I think you said that earlier, kind of a preview of this is, this is what it's all about. This is what right. we came for. Right. And just to really get people's hearts and minds on that um, before you get to those big days, I think that's really a valuable thing. So obviously there's Christian freedom and brothers can do what is best for their situation. Maybe try something new, see how it goes and kind of reevaluate could be a possibility. Um, but another possibility, if you're ready to move on, John, maybe we can talk yeah. then about what do it look like if you had just a regular Sunday with like your three readings, for example, um, right. So again, the theme of the day that we're suggesting or that Christian worship materials are suggesting either way is rethinking real strength. Um, John and I are going to spend some time talking about Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. But John, could you give, just give us a summary of the other two readings for that day? Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, it's Palm Sunday and people understand Palm Sunday and, and they know Zechariah 9 and our hymnody uses that. And, you know, so it, it's even if you do just Passion Sunday, these other readings influence and affect it. Right. So uh, even if you do Passion Sunday, you're, you're still reading the Palm Sunday gospel if you do that, uh, uh, you know, two part thing. Um, so, yeah, like you said, the theme of the day is the same. Uh, either way you do it, we're rethinking real strength. Um, think about how often in the passion history account, Jesus demonstrates his control over the situation, right? He gave his life. It wasn't taken from him from the control at the, of, of the preparation for the Passover to prophesy in Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial from the conversation with Pilate, where he was clearly the one in, in control to his, his prayer from the cross. He was the one in control. The one being killed was the one with the real strength in the situation, and the gospel account of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, the Palm Sunday gospel account, is filled with those same kind of details, right? Knowing exactly what would happen with the cult, receiving the prophesied praise of the people. Uh, the Zechariah prophecy, of course, describes this king with real strength, who's unlike other kings. He humbly rides in on the donkey with righteousness and proclaims peace to the nations. He doesn't use his power for his sake. Right. You know, we talk about uh, uh, what, it, you know, rethinking real strength. It's not. I'm strong enough to get my way, right? He, he doesn't use his power for his sake, but he comes to you. Uh, and because of his blood of the covenant, he frees us. Um, you got that in the end of the Zechariah section. And, and the psalm encourages us to welcome this king as we rethink what real strength looks like. So uh, whether you're, you're using all the readings or not, you're using all the readings. Um, they're just they're just there. They're they're mentioned in the gospel you're reading, and and if you're following the suggestion of you know the foundation for this uh, series, uh, you'll be having your devotion on Hebrews 12. Um, so yeah, in the gospel you see Zechariah being fulfilled. Um, so let's jump into to Hebrews 12. Um, you want to start us on that that text, Phil? 
Sure, let's do it. Um, so the text really is a contextual thing, not only the context of um, Palm Sunday that we're kind of bringing this in here, but also where it is in Hebrews. And uh, I think the, there's a couple guiding words here for the whole text that kind of bring focus. So one is the very first word of 12.1.1, uh, I'm sorry, 12 verse one, word one, uh, toy garun. Uh, as I understand and have seen, there's only one other place in 1 Thessalonians 4, 8, where that threefold compounded word is used. So it's like drawing a very strong inference. And of course, um, the conclusion is based on the previous chapter, the heroes of faith and how they relied on the Lord and put their faith and trust in him, um, that they were the martyret, oh, the people who witnessed or testified, uh, or in some cases were actually martyrs. Um, and so therefore, uh, the conclusion, and just reading an English translation, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So um, thinking again about these people, and there's a lot to think about uh, with the, what does it mean by this cloud of witnesses we're surrounded by? Uh, well, we certainly have their stories, um, I suppose you could say the traditions, what they've done, um, their witness of their faith is passed down, handed down to us. We talk about it. We teach them to their children. Uh, but in a very real sense, they surround us as well. Uh, you know, I think about, for example, I think there'll be a lot of liturgical tie-ins today in this text, but like mm -hmm. uh, at the great um, feast of the lamb. Well, they are already at the table at the great marriage feast and we join together with them in communion. Um, you know, so in one sense, they're, they're surrounding us that way. Um, in another sense, there's a lot that has to do with, we're going to talk about, I guess, Agon coming up, which is this contest or this race. And I think the word was specifically like for a stadium. So there's a lot of like we're under the microscope of people watching us, so to speak, in this competition and contest. And in some ways, the saints under the altar, you know, from Revelation asking how long, O oh Lord, are kind of cheering us on, uh, so to speak. Um, so in that way, we are also surrounded by the cloud of witnesses. But I'll, I'll pass it over to you for more well, thought. Well, just to, to add to, to that, you know, the, those last words of Hebrews 11, um, you know, none of them received what had been promised. God had plan something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So yeah, you mentioned those saints under the altar. Uh, we're all together on this. And, you know, you, you talked about the, uh, um, you know, at, at the feast, you think about most um, communion rails are the half circle, right? Uh, yeah. the, the rest of it, the, the picture is it's, it's the saints. It's the, the, those who uh, are waiting, who are part of this cloud of witnesses. So I'll let you keep going, but I just wanted to throw a couple of thoughts as, as you were talking, it, it sprang those up before we got onto more oh, stuff. That's awesome. That's uh, excellent. All right. There's so much to think about there. Yeah. You know, and we don't want to be in a worldly way. Like people often talk, you know, like, uh, Brett Favre's father dies and, you know, I know he's watching over me, helped me throw four touchdowns against the Raiders or whatever game that was, you know, it's not that kind of a way that, that they're like watching over us, uh, but in a very spiritual and a real tangible connected way. And again, communion is the ultimate connection with them that we experience. Um, but okay, moving on from that thought, because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, the other word that I understand really controls um, the whole thought here is to let us run, let us run. Um, we're gonna run with perseverance the race. And as I understand, and John, please jump in, the other things are kind of like participle 
or causal thoughts that um, connect to it. So how are we going to run with perseverance? Well, we're going to throw off things that hinder and and get rid of the sin that it like weighs us down like big baggy clothing, or even the word for that could be like excess body weight, which is a very relatable situation. <laughs> um, uh, and and we're going to run by by fixing our eyes on Jesus. So I guess I see um, up to that English period, um, you know, the next thought would be about Jesus, the joy set before him, blah, blah, blah. So maybe yeah. let's, the two of us here, let's just stay on that first chunk. Um, so I, I, I thought, you know, let us run is kind of the guiding thought. How do you see those um, clauses fitting together? And I'm going to kick over to you also <laughs> the difficult phrase of how pioneer perfecter. Yeah. Yes. The pioneer <laughs> author, perfecter, whatever of our faith, yeah. how would you handle that? So go ahead and take it from there, John. Man, that's why I threw it to you in the first place. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So, uh, no, that's good. That's good. So, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. The, these are all describing things that, uh, are ways for us to run with perseverance. And there's, I mean, so many illustrations, so many pictures that you could use, you know, the, the runner in a race, you know, the, the hurdler that turns around to look behind him and see who's coming. That's not going to turn out well for him. The, uh, the the one who's who's wearing the the baggy pants that gets caught or you know that's that's not going to turn out well you know the the original olympians running naked for that reason uh to to avoid uh any of that stuff um but no fixing our eyes on jesus you know and you i i have often used the children's sermon picture of you know trying to balance a broomstick on your finger have you ever done that uh and you uh have, yep, them, have them look at the uh at their finger and there's no way it's going to happen but when you when you look up and uh, you you can you can balance it uh um you know that idea of of keeping your keeping your eyes focused on on the goal because that makes it possible to to handle all the other stuff um yeah 100 different illustrations popping through my head most of them sports right you know the the practices that that we went through for early football or or you know basketball and uh why on earth would we put ourselves through that and uh well we knew we we wanted to be better we wanted to win these games uh wanted to win state whatever it was um and so yeah fixing our eyes on Jesus uh that's that's how you run with perseverance and and of course there's going to be some natural uh um carryover from this then to the passion history uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're going to watch him walk through this and see his love and his control and his strength through all of the details of, of the passion history. Um, but yeah, then to get to that, uh, that pioneer and perfecter, I got to, uh, pull out. So the, the Archegon and the, the Teleotain, you know, so, so our case, the, the beginning one, the leader, the rule, um, you, you see that Greek word all over the place. Um, the, the and then the telos, right? The teleoton, the, the the one who completes it, who finishes it, uh, and and that can be translated in a ton of different ways. But uh, what's all going on here? You've got the beginning and the end, right? He's he's the totality of what our faith is about, uh, who our faith is in. 
Uh, he's the one. He was the the uh, first fruits among many brothers. He was the the the, the uh, uh, one who uh, walked that perfect life in our place. The one who uh, went to the cross in our place for us and declared it finished. Uh, he is the finisher of of what we need of of our faith. Um, yeah, I mean, you could you could do a. Uh, uh, couple hours of tech study on those two terms but uh um i don't know you got anything to add on that yeah well I, like you say there's a lot of ways to um translate it i was just doing a little comparison and uh even some of the most familiar versions have a variety of ways of course uh and niv made a switch um from author and perfecter to pioneer and perfecter mm -hmm. uh ehv i think captures the idea well he's the author of our faith and the one who brings it to its goal that's the telos kind of thing. Yeah. Um, maybe that's not my favorite translation, just because the way it reads in Greek, I think, is a little more catchy than that, you know, pioneer and perfecter or author and perfecter Jesus. Just the way it reads in Greek seems more simple than that. I think um, the EHV is a very good explanation translation, right, mm -hmm. of what it means. But again, how many different ways could you say that Jesus is the everything when it comes to faith, the beginning of it? He's also the object of our faith. And the one who brings it to completion, which maybe then leads us to that next part. So I'm going to let you start on the next part. Um, so he is the everything of our faith, Jesus, who for the joy, why don't you take us from there, John? Yeah, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know what? Uh, you, you read commentaries on that and you get a, a variety of, well, this is what that joy is. You know, was it that uh, he set aside the joy of heaven? Um, so that he could endure the cross, or was it he had, you know, he was fixing his eyes on on the joy of of uh, what his exalt of of our uh, um, redemption and and our uh, resurrection and and you know the the benefit that that we would have through this, um, you know, he he for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Uh, yeah, it was an awful thing, um, but because he was focusing on the point of all of this and my, you know, went five and, and this text really have a lot of tie-ins, right? Um, the, uh, uh, scorning the shame, uh, because he had this in mind. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, he knew he would win the battle. And, and of course he, he did. Um, yeah. Thoughts on that, that joy set before him. I think it's such a profound and deep joy that you could har hardly begin to plumb the depths of it. I like how you didn't give a specific answer because I don't know if there is one, you mm -hmm. know, it's certainly not a selfish thing. Like, man, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be great and everyone's going to love me. Right. Um, but it's, I mean, the depths of here's the perfect savior in our place. And so maybe that's um, the beginning of tie into the first part of it as we have to endure and be patient through all the things that entangle and ensnare us. Here you see Jesus just willingly going through that and worse because he loved the father so much and the father was so pleased with him. Um, you think of Philippians 2, which is in some ways some parallels about how Jesus set aside and became obedient even to death on the cross and therefore God exalted him. So there's uh, joy in fulfilling the father's will, joy in the telus, of being exalted, of becoming the savior that God had promised for ages. 
But I, I, how can you not also add, though, that we are included in that joy? You know, God so loved the world that he sent his son. The joy is um, not just doing the Father's will, but in bringing us to the Father's side along with him. Yeah, what was the purpose of the plan? I mean, go back to Eden and God's promise. He created us uh, for relationship with him. Uh, that that's our purpose, and and when we when we aren't fulfilling that, we are empty. Um, and and the choice set before him was was that whole purpose of us being together with God. Um, uh, Jesus kept that in mind, uh, and that's how he endured. And like you said, that ties back to um, you know how do we get through stuff? Well, fix your eyes on Jesus, and then verse three. Consider what he went through. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Yeah, I th- and it doesn't tie in well, too, with the rest of Hebrews, just what you said. And then the next verse, too. Uh, I mean, we have a brother who is tempted in every way. Jesus is our brother. I mean, yeah. what a powerful message of Hebrews that Jesus is so infinitely greater than Moses and then the angels yeah. and whatever. And But yet he's not some unattainable, out there God who doesn't care. He's our brother who came to be our great high priest and do this for us. And um, thanks for tying that into verse three, um, so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. Um, you know, these are suffering Christians in a difficult time of church history in those early days. And that le- this letter is encouraging them, it's pointing them to Jesus. Uh, but there's so much exhortation in these last chapters, right? Um, look at these witnesses, these heroes of faith in the previous chapter. And, and therefore, we're surrounded by them. And so let's do the same thing. And let's not give up meeting together and all, you know, all this kind of stuff that we hear uh, from encouragement. Um, of encouragement from the, the author so that we can carry on. Um, we just We heard a lot about patient or endurance or whatever, and maybe we should just point the pastors. There's Did I count three times that some kind of root um, or derivative of hupomene, you know, endurance, forbearance, patience is used both in the first half of this text and then is it twice in the Christ section uh, in verse 2, um, in verse three, I think I counted three total. Um, so what a nice tie-in from Jesus. And and it's not, hey, do your best to follow his example. You know, what would Jesus do? Hey, um, suck it up there, buttercup. Um, yep. But it's what, what did he do for you? And now what's he doing in you and through you? I don't know if you want to add on to that. Yeah, I'm just thinking uh, illustrations, right? I mean, there's there's a whole genre of uh, TV shows, and I think Survivor is probably the the best known. What uh, I don't even know all the the new ones, but Naked and Afraid, and you know where, where they it's yeah. um, they put people in crazy positions. Uh, uh, fear factor, right? Uh, would you do this? Um, well, what's the prize, right? Why why are those people willing to go through all that? Uh, because they want they want the million dollar cash prize. They want uh, the fame. They want whatever it is. So they're willing to to go through stuff. And here we've got something far better than a million dollar cash prize, right? We've got uh, um, the joy set before us uh, being with Jesus forever in heaven. Um, I think of uh, Paul writing in some of his letters, um, what was it in Thessalonians or maybe Galatians, I'm mixing it up, but he said, you know, are you not my joy, my crown? Mm-hmm. He talks to the people and yeah. kind of in some ways paralleling, right? Christ, that we are that prize, that joy, that crown to him. Um, well, with all these thoughts, uh, John, wh- how would you focus on a, a law thought? There's a lot of things going on. We've kind of touched on it, but let's be real specific here for the preachers yeah. out there. What kind of a specific law thought would you have? 
boy, it's it's right there, right? Uh, fix our eyes on Jesus. Yeah, but there's a lot of other stuff to look at, right? Um, that getting distracted, uh, getting off course, you know, turning instead of following, you know, the uh, keeping our, our eye on the prize, carrying with, with us baggage that is absolutely unnecessary and hinders our run of life, whether that's our greed or our uh, uh, pride and, and desire for, for power or, or influence or whatever, whatever it is. I mean, you could, you could make a list uh, uh, 20 items long that uh, this gets in the way and this gets in the way and this trips us up. And, and uh, um, yeah. And I suppose anytime you're getting ready to read the passion history, it's, it's um, you know, missing the message of Easter and, and all the candy and family gatherings and all of that. But, but I think the big one is, is, uh, you know, what baggage are we carrying that uh, is hindering our, our race? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I'll just take it one step further, maybe to be more specific. I, I would definitely say that some kind of fixing your eyes on Jesus or, or lack thereof would be the, the specific law to go for here without the resolve, without the focus that we see in Christ during Holy Week. We don't have that as we carry our crosses in, in life. But just to take it one step further, going back to that, Hupomene kind of patient endurance thing. Maybe one reason why we take our eyes off of Jesus so easily, so quickly for the other stuff and get tied down by money and worries and whatever is because we don't have that endurance. We don't have that patience. We want a quick fix. We want a quick solution. And so when things get tough or difficult, uh, we look to something else um, rather than staying focused on the cross of Christ and carrying the cross, denying ourselves and carrying the cross as we talked about earlier this Lent. Um, so I totally agree with the fix our eyes, but also maybe an aspect of because we don't have such great endurance or patience. So maybe that leads us into some really specific gospel thoughts. I don't know if you want to take that next step then and how would you resolve that with gospel? Yeah, I mean, the the perfect one in our place who for the joy set before him went through far worse than, than, than we ever could. Um, he had us in mind. Uh, you, you think about if, if, if I'm taking it that I'm the joy that's set before him being with me. Wow. Right. Uh, that, that man on the cross. Um, yeah, that's, that's powerful. And that's why he walked into Jerusalem uh, or that's why he rode into Jerusalem and, and did everything that the Palm Sunday gospel uh, describes as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think the preacher should take a golden opportunity here. Sometimes it's a little more challenging, we'll say, um, to like dig out active obedience and appropriate that the right way. I, I, how can you not see the active obedience of Christ? Because um, it's so specifically in these three verses shows here's what we should be doing and don't, but here's yep. what Christ did. So he actively did it um, in our place but also did it for us. And then, of course, there's the passive obedience, the, the, the passion um, as he went to the cross to pay for it all at the same time. And, and boy, there, there's a lot of layups or even alley-oop slam dunks here um, from the writer for a, a, a pastor in a sermon. I mean, such good application, sanctification thoughts, right, about enduring um, and carrying on and having that, that patience uh, that because he did that, now we're not going to grow weary. In other words, um, we have that Christ in us and working through us. We have that cloud of witnesses cheering on. So, hey, let's go forward and fix our eyes on Christ as we live in this world. Yeah. And maybe just talking about uh, how you'd organize it then. Um, 
Last time I preached on this, it was Fix Your Eyes on Jesus, part one, the author and perfecter of our faith. So that was uh, using NIV 84, obviously, and uh, part two, so that you do not lose heart. Um, this time, I, I think I'm going to be, most of my themes throughout this series uh, have had something to do with the rethinking religion, whatever that that theme is. And so I'm thinking uh, strength to endure being the, the theme this time, uh, picking up on all of that. Uh, all the use of that heap of money, um, that kind of language, the perseverance, all of that. Um, and then seeing that in Jesus as we transition to reading the, the passion history. Yeah, I think it would be hard to not have a theme related to fixing your eyes on Jesus. Right. But there's a lot you can say about you know, patient endurance. Um, you know, there's a lot you can say about throwing off the other things or or maybe you want to color your theme as a preacher with some kind of palm sunday imagery um mm -hmm. could certainly be a nice tie-in as well but um just really good thoughts there uh, about um a very rich text in just three verses for sure yeah absolutely um, anything else to, to add um for you for the text no i think uh yeah, I think this has been great, and I pray that it's a blessing for our brothers out there as they uh, uh, preach or devote on this section as we walk into Palm Passion Sunday. God's blessings, brothers.